The High Power Hangout is a podcast that promotes and supports firearms, sports, and firearm safety. I do not support crime, negligence, illegal actions, or misuse of firearms. Always treat every firearm as if it was loaded, point them in a safe direction, and never put your finger on the trigger until you intend to safely fire and always be aware of what's behind your target. Discussions on this podcast, write-ins, or guest appearances are not responsible for your actions or inactions as a result of content covered in the show. Do not use reloading data from the show without working up from a considerably more conservative charge and solely working up until a safe load can be obtained. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the third episode of the High Power Hangout. It's JP, and it's June 19th, 2022. I'm realizing that there's more to this podcast thing than I expected. First off, and full disclosure, I am not a professional podcaster. There's a lot going on behind the scenes, including listening to recording glitches, correcting things that just don't make sense, and putting it all into the recording software, which is not something at which I'm overly talented. Since I'm new, most of this is scripted, which you've probably already figured out. It won't always be that way. I'll get my feet wet and start shooting from the hip after a while. I'm pumping out some content at a slightly faster pace than I'm expecting to in the future, but there's a lot going on and I have some spare time, so here we are. I'm excited about some of today's topics. I've shot in two matches since our last episode, and I've learned a lot and thought of some useful items to share. On the last episode, I said I wasn't in shooting shape. I've realized confusingly that my statements weren't entirely accurate. My previous episode statement was met with two thoughts in mind. Number one being things feel odd and somewhat unnatural, and number two meaning my scores weren't quite where they should be. While I agree that I'm not feeling 100% in my processes throughout the matches, the scores have been slightly better than what I expected them to be at this point. I'm still working on feeling more comfortable in each position, but I'm not losing points like I expected to. I had a match win with 795 and 43x, and was fortunate enough to win my first 1,000-point aggregate match with a 992 and 43x. I was trying some new techniques and working with some new equipment, and it was really important to me to try to get in the groove without letting the technique and equipment changes distract me. Basically, by the time Camp Perry rolls around, I want this to be enjoyably boring and routine. I need to shoot more matches and decide on my techniques to be used so I can solidify everything in the limited time I have until arriving in Port Clinton. One of the new pieces of equipment I've been working with is a new shooting coat. It's quite fitted and vastly different than my other coats from last year. Yes, coats. Plural. Both coats were my first high-power coats that were given to me from my grandfather. My offhand coat was ginormous, and I'm built like Gumby. But I was shooting very well with it, and I didn't want to switch things up. I had a somewhat better fitting coat for sitting and prone, but it was a Hawkeye coat from the early 1990s. Obviously, this was not sustainable for the long term, so I had my first fitted coat ordered and it arrived in the winter. It required a lot of breaking in. A lot. It also involved changing the setup of my sling and body position, as well as making up for the design deficiencies of the coat itself. The other piece of equipment I was getting used to was a Creedmoor range cart. I've never used one, and it's a bit of a distraction trying to figure out where things were that I needed throughout the day, and how to quickly get it broken down and fit into my car since we weren't walking between the firing lines. One new technique that I was working on was tightening my offhand coat. Offhand isn't usually an issue for me, but I had recently realized that I was doing something a little different than most people. My old champion's choice coat was usually fairly loose in the straps. In fact, I only used three straps in the old shooting coat and left the shoulder area and hip area very loose. I was scoring very well, with a best offhand score of 198 last year. With the new coat, it just wasn't the same. Time to make changes. So I tightened everything up and started to rely on the coat support a little bit more than I used to. 
Both times I felt more confident in my hold, and it seemed to settle down a little bit. Offhand scores in the last two matches were both 196, so I feel like I might be onto something worth pursuing. During rapid sit, I've adjusted my sling position to try to eliminate a nasty heartbeat that's been there every match. I mean bad. I'm talking X-ring to 11 o'clock border of the 9-ring. I already loosened my belt and hike up my pants sleeves, but I think there's a pulse coming from the sling area somewhere. Sling adjustments seemed to help a little bit, but my hold was still a little crazy, and I lost a point that I shouldn't have due to impatience and probably some really sloppy trigger control. I'm beyond my rookie phase of blaming the ammo and the rifle, so I'll definitely own up to these shots. On my next match, I'm going to experiment with a 16 power scope to really see how it looks downrange with my new sling position. I'm cautiously optimistic. Alright everybody, welcome back to the Load Lounge. Just a little background before we begin the topic, I want to explain how I use my two upper receivers to my benefit. I've heard multiple shooters use this technique, so I know I'm not alone here. The easiest way to explain this is to start with a timeline around late June or early July of 2022 with a brand new barrel on upper number one. Upper number one is shot a few times throughout June and July to verify the barrel likes my recipe for Sierra and Burger bullets. It's broken in with a few hundred rounds before Camp Perry to identify any weaknesses or shortcomings in the entire upper assembly. Once I'm 100% confident in it and have zeros for 200, 300, and 600 yards, I consider it ready for Camp Perry. I will shoot it through Camp Perry, the remainder of 2022, and the beginning of the following year through late June or early July of 23. Enter upper number two. Upper number two is now my main focus around June or July of 2023, following the same sequence that upper number one did in 2022. Following so far? At Camp Perry, now I'll shoot upper number two as my main match upper, while keeping upper number one as a backup in case I need it. Once Camp Perry's completed, my original upper number one is sent back to the factory for a barrel swap. Upper number two will continue the rest of the year and beginning of the following year until we repeat this cycle all over again. With all that in mind, I'm switching from my Krieger 1 in 7 twist barrel to a new Bartline foregroove barrel with 1 in 7 twist. I really need to make sure that what I'm loading is tailored to the new barrel. I'm not expecting any drastic changes here. Honestly, if I can keep my load the same, great. Most shooters that I speak with say that it doesn't really matter which barrel you run with, the load tweaks will be minimal, if any. When I sent my old barreled upper back to White Oak Armament in Carlock, Illinois, I left a note stating I'd be happy with whatever they think is the best performing barrel between a Bartline and a Krieger. They sent me back a four-groove Bartline. I've never had any buyer's remorse with White Oak, and so far their equipment is outstanding. And just as an odd note or possibly even a good practice, I place a name to each newly barreled upper and put a sticker label on it. I try to find the most outrageously outdated name and affix it to my upper. My reasoning was that when I keep notes, I keep a data point which will be assigned a name rather than Krieger number six or Wilson number two. It may be dumb, but it entertains me, and whoever looks at my uppers on match day typically gets a good chuckle. So far, I've run through Midge, Bethel, and Hilda. It's the little things, right? So back to the topic at hand. What I need to pay attention to at the loading bench is my 600-yard seating depths. 
I typically try to target about 10 thousandths off the lance to start with, although my Krieger has been shooting the best I've been able to shoot at 600 with bullets seated at 30 thousandths. I'm internally cringing at the thought of having to go load test again, so I think I'll just see which performs better on the range this week. Now there must be dozens of methods to checking the length at which the bullets engage the lands. Similar to farmer's insurance, I've heard quite a few and I've tried quite a few. Most of my early methods came out quite inconsistently and I needed some sanity when it came to measuring consistently. The way I found that works best is to use a Hornady lock and load OAL gauge in the straight configuration. I'll start by removing the bolt carrier from the upper, inserting a long, smooth bore guide into the chamber, hold the rifle vertically pointed at the floor, and drop a projectile down the bore guide. The bullet is now seated at the lands, to the best of my knowledge. There may be some fudge factor in there, but it's good enough for my purposes here. Next, I'll carefully remove the bore guide, and then insert the straight OAL tool with a modified case into the chamber. I'll let the plastic rod from the OAL gauge find the rear of the bullet, lock the plastic piece in place, and withdraw the case and bullet combo. Now occasionally the bullet gets stuck in the barrel, so I'll have to use a wooden dowel down the barrel to dislodge it. Then I can measure the bullet and case combo for the length from the case head to the ogive and make my adjustments on the seating die as I need to. Just a quick word of caution if you haven't experienced this already. My good friend, we'll call him Joe, noticed that if you tighten the Hornady Lock and Load OAL brass pin into the plastic rod too tightly, it'll slightly indent the plastic. If you're doing multiple measurements, which I advocate, the locking screw will tend to fall back into that first detent you just made on the previous measurement. Basically, it's the same thing as letting your elbow fall back into the same place on your shooting mat. Good advice, Joe. I just wanted to share those two tidbits in the load lounge in case you were wondering how I measure for the lands, and maybe you have a better method for me. Feel free to email me if you do. Alright, I have just shy of about a million ideas for segments on this show, but this next one is something I'm really excited about. I'm going to call it the range shoutout. I think it would be nice to reflect on different ranges that I've shot on recently and give them credit where it's due. If I don't get the opportunity to shoot at a new venue that we haven't discussed on here, I'll find a new one that I've shot at in the past and give it a quick shoutout. Today's range shoutout is for the folks in Van Meter, Iowa. I've shot at this range with my grandfather when I was just a little Gumby, right around the age of 9 or so. I was shooting a Winchester Model 70 and 222 Remington. Considering I weighed less than 80 pounds at the time, it was quite the rifle for me to shoot across the course high power with. Go ahead and get your giggles out of the way, I'll wait. Van Meter is located about 20 miles west of Des Moines, Iowa, just off Interstate 80. For high power purposes, they feature a 200, 300, and 600 yard range with Silver Mountain electronic targets. It's fairly protected by trees, but there's some tricky openings downrange which makes wind calls really fun at the 600-yard line. There are multiple wind flags downrange, so you have a fair chance of staying ahead of it. It's a beautiful range, and it's really well kept. With a new high-power director in place, they have a pretty great lineup this season that goes beyond just the standard 50-round match. The 2022 season features a few 80-round matches throughout the year, a 1,000-point aggregate match, which is just an 80-round across the course with an extra 20 rounds at 600, a leg match, a few 4x600 matches, and at the end of the season, they have an 80-shot offhand match with a double presidents. There is some incredible competition there, including U.S. National Rifle Team and U.S. Palma Team competitors. 
The local group in Van Meter is encouraging and extremely helpful when it comes to not only match logistics, but also improving your shooting skills. An example of this was last year when I was really struggling at the 600-yard line. I couldn't figure out why I was getting errant shots that I weren't calling when I squeezed the trigger. Story of our lives, right? Before the string, I asked my scorekeeper to watch me and see if there's anything that stands out as a red flag. After the string, he mentioned a few items, including energy management, but most importantly, my old shooting coat was creating a ton of slack in my shoulder. He grabbed another competitor to help diagnose some of my issues, and we worked for about five minutes on improvement areas. They did not have to do this. I learned later that these guys were top five placing national champions with other stuff they probably could have been doing that afternoon, but they were extremely happy to help. I will never forget that moment. Van meter may be a bit of a drive for some folks, but if you're able to swing it and give it a try, I promise you won't be disappointed. What a great club and great people. Now just a word from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Group Tightener, the pill designed to tighten your groups guaranteed. Whether you're struggling with offhand, sitting, or prone, Group Tightener deadens your nerve endings and slows your heart rate by up to 50% or more to decrease any unnecessary body movements. Sick of trigger snatch? No problem. Muscling the rifle too much in prone? Get lost. Group Tightener will end all of your problems so that you can leave the range with a big smile on your face and a trophy in the backseat of your pickup truck. Group Tightener is not available in the U.S., Mexico, Canada, or Europe. These claims have not been reviewed or approved by the FDA or any other medical organization. Do not use Group Tightener if you have low blood pressure, high blood pressure, or any other medical deficiencies. Side effects include nerve damage, tachycardia, low blood pressure, high blood pressure, stroke, fainting, nausea, delusion, disorientation, sudden sleeping, frog voice, bad breath, heart failure, hot dog fingers, Cinderella complex, and in some cases, death. Ask your doctor if you're healthy enough for Group Tightener. Okay, so obviously we're not sponsored here. Let's get back to business and hop into today's equipment engagement. I want to talk about my White Oak Distinguished Rifleman Service Rifle Scope. This has been the common talking point amongst competitors in the high power community, so I thought I'd add my unnecessary two cents and beat this dead horse deader. Previously in this episode, I mentioned that I haven't had any buyer's remorse with White Oak products, and this is no exception. When I transitioned to the AR platform from the M1 Grand, my first upper was a White Oak pinned iron sight with a Pacnor barrel and a few hundred rounds already through it. When I decided to make the change to optics, the White Oak Distinguished Rifleman scope had just become available and I took a chance on it without having any prior experience with scopes in the high power game. It wasn't on back order yet, so it arrived quickly. I mounted it on a Freedom Reaper mount and added a clear lens reducer and away we went. I added the lens reducer for a few reasons. Most importantly, it was because I was still shooting sharpshooter category scores and had nearly no confidence developed in shooting with the exception of offhand. I was extremely inconsistent with my body position with honorable mention to my head position. I knew my head position was changing a lot during the string, and I figured a lens reducer would help give another indicator whether my head position was correct or incorrect. Good call here. I was all over the place. I still use a lens reducer today to help keep me in check. Maybe it's not necessary, but I'm not about to get cocky in the ninth inning. The scope features a parallax knob on the left side and quarter-minute adjustments with either MOA or click knobs, buyer's preference. These are crisp, consistent, and have not let me down yet. Although I grew up on MOA with silhouette shooting, 
I chose the click knobs and set my 200 yard elevation to a setting of 12 so that I can drop it lower if I shoot a 100 yard reduced match. It has a zero stop that prevents me from going lower than zero to prevent confusion and being one turn off. I can't say this is a bad feature, but I've had to go to zero and shoot low on target before. It was my fault for not setting the 200 yard elevation at 10. I think I had previously set it to 5 clicks up or something like that. Aiming for the bottom of the 10 ring is not my favorite thing to do in offhand, and I call that a self-correcting error. The reticle seems to be the biggest point of contention for most shooters. Honestly, I think the busyness of the reticle is way blown out of proportion. The outside of the reticle has a cant indicating reticle which helps the shooter keep consistent levels of cant throughout the string. To me, it looks like an airplane's attitude indicator which helps the wings stay level in instrument conditions. I use this during prep in sitting and prone to make sure my position is level. Personally, when I'm shooting offhand, I pay no attention to it. Some people say the cant indicating reticle is too busy for them. I'm not sure where that comment comes from. One thing I'm not doing when I'm focused on the X-ring is looking at the outside of the reticle. I'm very prone to motion sickness. I think the aiming reticle is pretty great. There's a three-quarter MOA dot in the center and a ring that measures seven and a half MOA on the inner diameter. Call me crazy, but I think this is pretty genius. I use the dot for offhand and sitting, and I switch to the seven and a half MOA ring for the 300 and 600 yard line. I don't have the skill to see the dot at 600. The aperture style shooting works really well for me. I typically add about eight to 12 points using this method over the dot in slow prone. Others call me crazy for not using the dot, but it works well for me. Point being, whether you're a dot shooter or an aperture shooter, this scope will treat you well. Also, I originally trained as a crosshair fella. I found no degradation in my ability to use the dot and aperture when switching to this scope. It just felt natural. Over the last few months, this scope has been on back order. I can tell you that the weight is worth it. I use two of them between my two uppers and I keep the zeros the exact same. I don't notice the difference between the two. White Oak customer support is fairly transparent and extremely friendly. Again, no buyer's remorse here. If you're transitioning to optics from irons, I'll actually place this in the need to have category. It's half the cost of the high-end optics and offers similar if not better features. I actually went distinguished using the scope. It's true to its name. If you're using optics and thinking about jumping ship to another platform, I say give it a try. If you try it and it's not for you, there's a bunch of other shooters that would love to pick it up from you at full price. No love lost. Okay, that's enough for me today. If you want to weigh in on anything we discussed today, please do so. JP at hphpodcast.com. That's HPH short for High Power Hangout. Thanks for listening. Remember to make every single shot count. I'll see you on the next one. Mm-hmm.